so many of us are weighed down by vices, held back by burdens, and defined by failures. In shame, our demons drive us into hiding. But God is the author of new stories, unwriting endings, moving toward outcasts, finding failures, and welcoming the unworthy. Experience the power of transforming grace when God calls you out of the desert. Uh, Grab a Bible, open to the book of Exodus. So we are launching a new series this week. This is Launch Sunday, and we're launching new service times. We're going to launch so many of us on to be a part of teams, and we're launching this new series called Never Too Far Gone. And what this is is a biographical journey, and what that means is we're going to be looking at these stories of individuals. I love, like, I love a good biography, right? So, like, I remember reading Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, and I was just, like, so sucked into it. And we always give attention to Steve Jobs' years with Apple, but what he did with Pixar is the most incredible. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. If you've not read Shoe Dog, it's incredible. The, the story of him starting Nike, the work he put in. I read that and I was like, I don't, I don't think I could do that. I could start Reebok, but I could not start Nike. Like, well, you know, like he takes it to the next degree. And what happens is when we read biographies, when we look at somebody's life story and journey, what it does is it gives us both perspective and inspiration. It gives us perspective of like, oh, guess I'm not the only one who has struggles. I guess I'm not the only one who has faced adversity. adversity. And it gives us inspiration to, to, to see, man, what, what could our life look like? And so we're going to be going through this biblical journey of these biblical characters and, and looking at, at what happens in their journey and in their life. And, and if you grew up in church or grew up hearing these stories, you, they, they're always talked about as heroes of the faith. But the truth is you start to read their lives. You're like, man, these people are messed up, right? Like, like my wife, she, she did a, she read through all of the Old Testament, New Testament beginning this year. She did a hundred in one days, and so she was listening to the audio Bible, and there's so many times where she would be listening to the Old Testament, and she would stop, take her AirPods out, and look at me. She's like, what is happening right now? This is insane. I feel like I'm listening to Game of Thrones. This is not appropriate what's happening in the Bible right now, right? You read their stories, and you're like, this is intense, and so we're going to embark on this biographical journey, and we're going to see that each and every one of these characters, though they had massive failures, major areas where they fell short. They are always brought out by God's transforming and redeeming grace that none of them, through his grace, none of them are too far gone to be used by him. So we're gonna start by looking at Moses and Moses' story of out of the desert. So I wanna give a little context to this story of what's happening. So we're gonna start in Exodus chapter two, second book of the Bible. But leading up to the story of Exodus, we, what we see is we see all of the Old Testament centers around the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And, and what is happening is God is going to bless all people through them. He makes this covenant with Abraham. I'm going to bless all people through you. I'm going to multiply you. And so they end up through this man named Joseph. They end up in Egypt. And it's a way of God providing and, and protecting protecting them. He brings them into Egypt. And Joseph is like the number two guy in the whole government, in the whole land. And so he brings his family and, and, and all of the, you know, all the people. And then they start multiplying. And then Joseph dies and there's a new king. There's a new ruler, a new pharaoh who did not know Joseph. 
And so he looks around and he sees these foreign people. He sees the Hebrews, the Israelites, and he's like, there are so many of them. This could actually be really bad for us if they continue to multiply in this way and we get into a war with, you know, with a nation around us or, or you know, another empire around us. And then all of a sudden the Hebrews, they decide they're going to join, join their team. This could be devastating for us. And so what they do is they enslave the Hebrew people. And they, they put them to backbreaking work and they say, we need to oppress them. We need to keep them down. Yet God continues to bless the Hebrew people, even in their slavery. And it tells us in Exodus chapter one that they multiplied in the midst of it. So, so, so you're getting to this point where they're just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. So much so that the king, the Pharaoh of the day says, this, we, we actually need a genocide. What we need to do is we need population control. And so when a child is born... Of, of Hebrew descent, if it is a woman, if it's a female, a girl, then she can live. But if it's a male that's born, put him to death because they're multiplying way too fast. And so this is the, this is the story that Moses enters, it, Moses enters into. So he is born and his mother does not want him to be put to death. So she puts him in a basket. And she puts him in the, in the river by these reeds. Now, if you see the Disney version, he's like whitewater rapid Moses, like flowing. And that's not what happened, right? She didn't like send him down the river, like, good luck. You know, you know Moses, she's like, I got this. You know, like, no. Okay, she he puts him in, in this basket. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and sees Moses, hears him crying. And, 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 and she draws near. And Moses' his sister was watching over him. And Moses' sister says, do you want me to go find one of the Hebrew people to nurse him? And she says, yes. So she goes and gets her mom, gets Moses' mother to nurse Moses until he's of age to where she can be raised in this, in this family. Now, here you see this incredible setup to Moses' journey. God wants to do something amazing in and through Moses. God wants to use Moses to redeem his people. And, and it's, it's the perfect setup because he's both Hebrew and he's being raised in Pharaoh's household, okay? So he speaks both languages. He understands both cultures. He has the power and influence to, to, to actually care for and watch over. So second thing that you see in his story, there's this beautiful foreshadowing in his name, okay? So Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses because it sounds like the Hebrew word to draw out, and she drew him out of the river. But it's, it's not the Hebrew word. It's just what she thinks is the Hebrew word. And so God uses that so prophetically because we're gonna see in Moses' story, God's gonna draw him out of the desert and ultimately he's gonna use Moses to draw the, the Hebrew people out of slavery. And he's being trained and groomed. We, we can read in history, historians like Josephus says that Moses was actually being groomed to be the next Pharaoh. He's on this trajectory to save the Hebrew people and then what happens? He fails. He messes up. This is what it tells us in Exodus chapter two, starting in verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, it tells us in the New Testament, he's about 40 years at this point, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. He, he's in Pharaoh's household. He's comfortable, yet he sees his people and their suffering. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. 
And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And this man, he answered him, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. I thought I buried it. I thought no one saw, nobody knew about it, but surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. You guys see our shame, it sends us into the desert. Moses, what does it look like for him? His shame, what does it do? He hides his sin in the sand. He tries to keep it secret. And then when, it's, when he's confronted, he runs and, and he knows all he knows. And he goes into the desert, isolation, disconnection. For us, our shame over our failures, mistakes, and sin, it causes us to close up, withdraw, hide, bury it in the sand, and run. Uh, some of us, we've been running for a long time from mistakes of our past because the shame has driven us into the desert. Now, now why do we do this? Because we do it because we're afraid if we really open up about our mistakes, about our sin, about our guilt, about our thoughts, like people would reject us. This is what happens with Moses. His past gets brought up and he's shamed for it. You're gonna kill us like you killed that Hebrew? I remember a moment in my life when I was walking through a season of sin and I confessed to a brother. And he looked at me and he got up and he didn't say anything. He just says anything about what I just shared with him. He just said, I'm going to bed. And I was just like, okay. And uh, later on, when he had time to process, he, he said, I'm wiping my hands clean of you. That kind of condemnation, it, it sticks with you. It makes you hide. It makes you think like, if this is what people would think of me, if this is how people respond, I, I'm going to hide myself. And, and a lot of us, we've experienced these moments. We have things that we feel shame over. And so we run into the desert. And it begins to shape our identity and our trajectory for so much of our life. But you guys, I have some good news for you today. Um, the God of redemption never lets a good life-altering mistake go to waste. He's gonna resurrect, he's gonna redeem, and he's gonna renew, but we have to face it. And so when we look at our lives, where and what have you buried in the sand? What are the things that like you just, like it gets brought up and you feel uncomfortable? Somebody mentions it and you just kind of like change the subject or walk out of the room. Like what are the things like even right now, you're like, I'm not thinking about that. Like that's another thing. I don't wanna face that, that's for another day the things you've never told anyone, the mistakes you've never dealt with, the wounds you've never faced. You guys, you have to face your past. You have to face it. I was walking with a couple and they were making a decision, a career decision that really affected their finances. So we were having this discussion around their finances and I was like, okay, let's talk about some of these different areas and goals. And, and then I was like, okay, let's talk about debt. And they're like, we don't talk about debt. I'm like, no, you talk about debt. <laughs> like, it's okay, you can tell me. They're like, no, 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 we don't even talk about it with each other. We don't, we don't, we, we ignore it. I'm like, that's not how it works, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm like, now you need to tell me. 
And so I was like, give me a picture. Like, how much debt did you take on? And so they kind of walked through these different elements. And, you know, when they first got married and school and all this stuff, they're like, yeah, we, when we, we originally took on about $20,000 of debt. I was like, okay, that's approachable. Like, we can, we, we can get after this. I'm like, what have you, what's your plan? What have you been doing? They're like, we just ignore it. What is it now? They're like, oh, we, it's somewhere in the 80s. I'm like, okay, let's talk about compounding interest, right? You can't just ignore things. They build and they compound over time. Yet some of us have things in our past that we've just shoved to the side and the pain and the suffering has been compounding. If you would have dealt with it, if we would have dealt with it up front, it would be one thing, but now we're facing a monster. It's a wound that has festered. And I'm not saying dwell in your past. I'm saying deal with your past or your past will dwell in you. And this is what's happening with Moses. He thinks he can just run and hide, okay? But I got more good news for you today. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to redeem you of these things, but, but you have to bring it to him. Like whatever it is that makes you uncomfortable, whatever it is in your past, the thing that has been done to you or that you've done to someone else, you, you have to bring it to Jesus. Now, I, I, I want to explain the beautiful theology of the cross because this is why the cross is the crux of Christianity in what Jesus accomplished and what he did on the cross. So Jesus, though he knew no sin, though he did not sin, he became sin that he might put sin to death on the cross, okay? Now, I don't want you to mishear me because I grew up my whole life hearing those kind of things. And I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus paid for our sins, right? Jesus put sin to death on the cross. No, no, what the Bible tells us is that Jesus became sin so that he could put it to death on the cross. Jesus took our burdens. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He became our sin so our sin could be put to death. I remember being a teenager, okay, and I was at this camp, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And, and when, you know, in the 90s youth group, you know, the most, of, for some reason, the most, like, cutting-edge way of, like, communicating something was a skit. So all these youth groups would do skits. And I remember me and my friends sitting there, in the back of this camp, and they're doing this skit. I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, why are we doing a skit? You know, and so, and, and you know, you, the character representing you comes out, and it falls into these, all these temptations, you know, the dancing girls, and, and the money, and the, and the gambling, and the smokers, you know, the cigarettes, how don't smoke cigarettes, you know, hell's hot, don't smoke cigarettes, you know, like, and I'm like, we're just like, what is happening? Okay, and then Jesus shows up, and you're like, oh, I know this part. Jesus is the hero. He's gonna beat up all the bad guys and be done with them because that's what he did on the cross. That's not what he did. He took me and he took me away and he put himself in my place. And I was wrecked in that moment. I'm making fun of it, I'm laughing. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart because I finally understood the gospel. I understood that, that Jesus died in my place. You know what your buried bodies need? They need the cross of Jesus. You know what your shame and your guilt need? You're done with that, okay? 
Like, no more if you bring it to Jesus. Whatever you've done, whatever sin, whatever mistake, whatever failure, Jesus, he became that so he could put it to death on the cross. Have you stolen? Okay, guess what? You're a thief. Jesus, the giver of all things, he became the thief on the cross to pay the price for what we stole. That's the gospel. Have you lied? Okay, you're a liar. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life himself, he became the liar on the cross to untangle the knots of the lies that we've tied. Have you betrayed your spouse? Jesus, the faithful one, became the adulterer on the cross to absorb the the shame and guilt of that betrayal. This is what the gospel is. This is such good news. Whatever your sin, whatever your shame, whatever your guilt, whatever you have buried in the sand, Jesus became that on the cross so that he could put it to death in the grave. This is good news. This is a critical element of the gospel, but but we have to bring it to Jesus, okay? So if, if there's things in your life that you're still feeling guilt over, shame over. Right? You guys bring it to Jesus, to, like today. Bring it to him. Show him where it's buried because he's paid for that. He, 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 died, he died for that. And you need to stop letting it shape the trajectory and identity of your life. How, how do we bring it to Jesus? A few ways. One, through, through prayer and confession. And Jesus is present with us. Even today, when, when, we, when we worship, Maybe what you need to do is just say, Jesus, I need, to, I need you to rid me of the shame and this guilt. Maybe you need to come to the Lord's table where we remember his broken body and his blood poured out. Why was his body broken and his blood poured out? To pay for your sins, to atone for what you've done, to pay the cost. Remember that and celebrate that. Maybe you this week, you need to go on a walk. Say, Jesus, this stuff still has hold over me. I'm still feeling shame over it. I need, I need you to take it away. And this is what he'll do. Some of us, we actually need to go a step further. It's not to receive forgiveness. It's to, be, uh, to receive healing. It's to be reminded of our forgiveness. And what we need to do is we actually need to confess to a brother and sister in Christ so that they can priest us, okay? So we, we are the priesthood of all believers, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a priest. And what that means is you represent the Lord. You stand between people and the Lord and remind them of his goodness, remind them of his grace, that if we confess and repent, remind them of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. You need to look at your friend and say, you're forgiven of that. And some of you need to hear that. Whatever it is, you need to hear you've been set free by the blood of Jesus. That's one of the ways we bring it to Jesus. But some of us, like, we've been, we've been hiding stuff for a long time, and it's been festering for a long time. And, and I want you to have the courage to, to walk this road with a biblical counselor. Like, I, like, I'm tired of the stigma around counseling. Counseling is a good thing, okay? It's like a workout for your soul. Like, all you CrossFit people, like, you know, you don't hold back. You're like, CrossFit's amazing. Everybody's like, that's cool. Like, counseling people, don't hold back. Counseling's amazing. Everybody should try it. Like, join my counseling club. Like, like let's normalize doing work in our life of, go, of going, going to war after these things. Because, we need, because what do counselors do? They give us tools, 
They equip us, they empower us to say, no, 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 Jesus has forgiven that. And you need to forgive yourself. You need to be set free of that. So we need to actually bring it to Jesus. Stop letting your past dictate your future, okay? We need to unbury some of these things. My, uh, my wife, her dad, for about 30 years, was a homicide detective, which is like the coolest career to sit and ask people questions about. So every time I see him, I'm like, Ben, like, give me a good story, right? So my favorite story, and this is his favorite case ever, he said um, he got a call because somebody was um, excavating in their backyard. They were doing some remodeling, so they were digging up this, um, this cement block in their backyard. And as they were digging, the company came across these bones. And so in that case, they bring, they bring you know, detectives in to determine what kind of bones they are. And it was, not a, it was not like a family dog. They were human remains. They were human bones. And so he, I'm like, what are you thinking in that moment, Ben? And he's like, I love it. I'm so, like, I love that dead body. This is awesome. Like, and so, uh, so he starts this process of, of, of researching missing people in the, in, you know, testing the bones, testing all DNA, all this kind of stuff. And, and they figure out who it is. They figure out it's this man named Joseph Terraconi. And so he starts looking into his past and asking neighbors and stuff like that. 30 years later, this is 30 years later. And so he pretty much pinpoints uh, the gal who he is like, this is who did it. And so he starts meeting with her, not as a police officer, as a potential client, because she owns a business up in Seattle. And so he goes in every day and just talks with her and asks her questions, this and that. And so finally he looks at her and he goes, hey, I want to ask you about Joseph Terraconi. And he says, she goes, <gasps> and just freezes. And then all of a sudden he says, you could just see the red go up her neck, upper chin, mouth, nose, eyes, forehead, ears. And I'm like, like, what did you do? How did you get her to actually like, like confess? He's like, she couldn't wait to confess because she'd been carrying that around for 30 years. Her thought wasn't, I'm so glad I got away with it. Her thought was, I'm so glad I can be, stop hiding this. Like we have to face these things or they'll continue to dictate our lives. Now, now I, want to see, I want you to see why why this is so important to God. Other, like, of course, to set ourselves free. But look at Exodus 2, chapter, 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. What days when Moses is in the desert? And the people of Israel groaned because their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Here's what I need you to know is God is doing something so much bigger than you. So much bigger than your story, your failures, your mistakes, but he wants to include you in it. And God's mission, it's too big for him to allow your past failure to mess up his future purpose. So be set free. Sam Chan, in his book, Leadership Pain, he says this, when you interpret your pain as bigger, more important, more threatening, more comprehensive than your vision, you redefine your vision down to the threshold of your pain. And I think that can absolutely be applied to this situation. When you think your past mistakes are bigger, more important, more comprehensive than God's calling on your life, you limit your calling. You shrink your calling. 
And God wants to use us in these ways. And so he has this interaction. He, he actually comes to Moses. And he, and he comes in the form of a burning bush, right? So Moses says he's walking his, you know, his father-in-law's sheep. And he says out loud, so I'm going to assume that he's walking with somebody. He's like, there's a burning bush over there. I'm going to go check it out because it's burning and it's not being consumed. Now, it's funny because nobody else goes over. Uh, that's because everybody else walking with him is like one of those people from like, you know, Corbett and Damascus, they burn bushes all the time. They're like, this is a very normal thing, right? Like, that's how you get rid of the shrubbery, right? And so, but he's like, this is crazy. I'm from Egypt. I'm a city boy. Like, what's happening? He walks up, and this is the interaction he has. He says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to, he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. See, shame sends us into the desert, but God's grace draws us out. And God wants to call you out of the things that hold you back from living your life for his goodness and his glory. God wants to call you out of the fear and the shame that brought you to the desert and the isolation. God has a purpose for your life. He has meaning and significance for your life. Stop letting past mistakes and failures keep you from his future calling. But what's so unique here is Moses... His response is he just starts giving all these excuses. He sounds a lot like us when God puts something on our heart. We give all the reasons why we, why we shouldn't do that. We go through all the excuses. What's the first thing he says? In 3.11, he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is the I'm inadequate excuse. You ever said that to God? You ever felt that? Like he, he's, he's calling you to serve He's calling you to start the business. He's calling you to start the nonprofit. He's calling you to take the job. But you're like, but like, who am I? Like, who am I to serve these kids? Who am I to reach these young adults? I'm inadequate. This is the identity excuse. And we say no to God because we feel inadequate. And what is God's response? He says, no, 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 but Moses, I'll be with you. I'm present with you. This is the same thing he says to us. What's the next excuse that Moses says? Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He's like, I'm not prepared for for this. You're calling me to cast them out, but, but what if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to? You've had people, you've had people where God is telling you, hey, go pray for them. Go invite them into your home. Invite them to come with you to church, and you come up with this excuse. Like, but man, I, I, like, I'm, I don't know what to say. What if I, what if I don't have answers? Yeah, yeah you, you want me to serve these kids and disciple kids, but, but like kids have hard questions. Like what if I don't actually know the answer? You're, you have allowed this idea of being imprepared, ill-prepared to keep you from actually walking in obedience. And what, is, what does God do in this moment? What, how does he respond? He says, say to the people I am. So he gives the answer because this is what God always does. When he calls us, he equips us. When he brings us into a place, he's gonna give you the words. I've had so many times in ministry where I've sat down with someone and they're they're seeking counsel. And I'm sitting there and both they 
And I realize at the same time, man, I'm bad at this counseling thing. Like, I don't know what, man, like, don't do that anymore. Like, that's my advice. Like, just stop it, right? Like, and so we sit and we pray together. I'm like, that's my, like, let's pray about it. Let's see what the Lord, where the Lord goes. Now I just skip to that step. Somebody's like, hey, I want to talk. I want to talk to you. I listen, but while I'm listening to their words, I'm not thinking, how do I respond? I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does in those moments? He gives us answers. A good friend of mine shared how last week she was in the response room. Somebody came back and was ready to accept Jesus. And she said, in the moment, I didn't know what to say. I've never led someone to Christ. And I just started praying with her and for her. And the Holy Spirit just gave me the words to say, gave me verses I didn't even know were in my heart and in my mind. And I, and I walked and I just joyfully was able to walk with her. Stop using the excuse that, well, I'm not ready yet. You'll never be ready. You're just being disobedient. So walk in that. And then Moses goes on. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. This is the fear. Like I'm afraid, what if I fail? Like what if I, what if I go to start that ministry and it fails? What if I invite them to come with me and they say, no, what if I apply for that job and don't get it? What if I try out for the worship team and don't make it? Like, what if I fail? Like, it's the famous Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like, yes, the ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. They're meant to, they're built to go out to sea and you will fail. Well, that's okay, because God will be with you. And, and God literally goes through, and he's like, no, 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 I'm going to give you these signs. He's like, take that staff and throw it on the ground. So Moses does, and it turns into a, a serpent, and he picks it back up. It turns back into a staff, right? He's like, put your hand in your cloak, and he pulls it out, and it's like death, and he puts it back in, and it's healed. Like, he gives him the spiritual gift of David Blaine, right? And he's like, it's going to be incredible. Like, and then Moses, he still finds excuses, but Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I'm flawed. Like how many of us have, have kept from walking in our calling, walking in obedience, walking in impact, because we are so defined by our flaws. But I'm too quiet. I'm too shy. I'm not intelligent enough. I have a temper like, we allow these things. Seriously, when we planted Rise, I remember, you know, we met with Chris and Stacy, and we started to talk, we were talking through this process of what it would look like, and talking with Dave and Sherry about planting this church, and I remember sitting with my wife being like, okay, like, I'll play a role, like, I'll help someone plant a church, but, like, I'm not ready. Like, I don't, like, you have to talk, and I fumble over my words, like, I don't know how to connect sentences, I spit when I talk too much, I sweat, like, I just, like, all these things, I'm, like, going on, I'm a young, like, like, if you see picture, like, if you come to First Step, and you see a picture of when we planted, you're like, yeah, you were too young, dude, you were, like, like, you needed a chaperone as a preacher, right, and I remember just, like, complaining to my wife, being, like, I'm just not ready, and she said, is God calling you, though, and I said, yeah, She's like, then you can either be obedient or disobedient. And we focus on our flaws and where we fall short because we are prideful and we have a really big view of ourselves and a really small view of God. And what does God say to Moses? He says, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? 
Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I love his response. He's not like, no, you're good, Moses. You can talk fine. He's like, yeah, you are bad, but I made you that way. What are the things you hate about yourself that you're insecure about? Who made you that way? Is it not I, the Lord? And receive with joy your flaws because God wants to use them for his glory if we would just limit our excuses. He says, now, therefore go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. And this is what Moses says. Oh Lord, just please send someone else. <laughs> right? At this point, the Lord, it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He's like, now I'm done, right? Like he says to himself, Lord, bear me strength, right? Like how am I gonna deal with this guy? Like over and over and over, all these excuses, and this is the excuse, I'm the wrong person. This is the disobedient excuse. And we can go through these things. I'm inadequate, I'm ill-prepared, I'm afraid, I'm flawed, I'm the wrong person. Do you think, where did those where did that come from? Do you think the, the voice of Satan had an ear with Moses while he was in the desert? Man, some of us, we, we've been hiding because of our shame and our failures. We've been walking away from the Lord and we are listening to the voice of the enemy rather than the word of God. And we're allowing that to define who we are. We're allowing that to shape our identity. These lies in the desert of isolation and failure we're allowing them to shape our identity, purpose, and calling. I need you to tell you, in the gospel, that's not who you are, people. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, this is not who you are. You are not failure. You are not afraid. You are not flawed. You are not the wrong person. You are in Christ. And so I, let me just wash some scripture over you. Maybe you need to close your eyes and listen to this. Maybe you need to follow along on the screen, but this is the truth of God's word. This is who you are in Christ. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a child of God. I am a friend of God. In Christ, I am chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am declared righteous. I am resurrected to new life. I no longer live as a slave to sin. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I am under no condemnation for my sin. I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance, the dwelling place of God, a member of Christ's body, a new creation, reconciled to God, entrusted with a message of reconciliation, the righteousness of God. I am a saint. I am holy. I am blameless. I am adopted into the family of God. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am spiritually alive. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am set free from the bondage of sin. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am an enemy of the devil. I'm a child of light and not of darkness. I am an heir of eternal life, a holy partaker of the heavenly calling, a member of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I am God's workmanship made to do good works. This is who you are in Jesus. Stop letting other things define you. Stop letting excuses crawl into your heart, but let the truth 
and the power of God's word shape your identity, purpose, and calling. Amen? Because this is the power of the gospel, that, that on the cross, Jesus put all our sin and shame and guilt to death, and he buried it in the grave. But through the resurrection, you know what he brings us? A new identity and a new purpose and a new calling. And this is what Paul extrapolates from this idea. Look, if, if we have Christ's righteousness and he's taken our sin and I am in, new, in Christ and I am a new creation, then the old has passed away and the new has come. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because Christ has taken our guilt, he's taken our shame, and he has reconciled us, we are now what? We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So he took our, our shame and our guilt, and he gave us a new identity. Why? so that we can join him in his mission of restoring and redeeming all things. We are his ambassadors. God's, God has big plans for your life. Stop holding on to the shame. Stop living in excuses and receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace and receive the new identity that you have in Christ so you can play a role. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, Jesus died for our sins, not so that we could sort out abstract ideas but so that we, having been put right, could become part of God's plan to put his whole world right. This is how the revolution works. You guys, we need a revolution. We need a revival. We need a restoration in our city, in our community, in our world. It is hurting and it is broken. And what does it need? It needs the people of God to live in their identity, to live with purpose and meaning we are not gathering a crowd on Sundays. We're calling disciples and we're sending out and we're going into our city with a mission. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people, but here's the truth through the gospel, healed people heal people. Redeemed people redeem people. Hope-filled people fill people with hope. Not in of ourselves, but through Jesus. That's your identity. That's your calling. That's your purpose. If we would allow Jesus to bury our past in the grave, he will resurrect a future. And some of us, we, we can speak a language and partner with him in a way that's so unique. Lastly, I'll end with this and the worship team will come up and we'll close in worship. Is, um, when Moses was, came across the burning bush and he walks up to it, um, God says something so unique to him. And it's something that stands out to a lot of us and that's really important. As Moses drew near, uh, the Lord says, take off your shoes for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, now, what does that word holy mean? It means set apart. What he's telling Moses, he's like, this is a moment in your life, a sacred moment where your life will never be the same because I am setting, I'm calling you out. I am setting you apart. And Moses, he, he just thought he was like walking with sheep that day. He didn't realize how that moment 
would completely change the trajectory of his life. Here's, here's my desire, that today would be a holy moment for you. There's some of you who are gonna receive the gospel for the first time today, and it is a holy moment. There's some of you who have been going through the excuses, some of you who've been living in your past, and today is the day where you say, no, I need to be the church. I need to live the calling that God has for me. And my prayer is that this would be a holy moment. You may even, to the degree of when we worship, you may say, I need to take my shoes off because the place I'm standing is holy ground. And God is doing something in my heart and my life. I really believe that. And so as you, as we turn to a time of worship, you guys, maybe you need to go to the response room and you need to have someone pray against the lies that you've been believing your whole life. Maybe you have been holding back from, from giving it all and surrendering to Jesus. And maybe you need to say, I'm ready to accept Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness and his resurrection. But wherever you're at, I encourage you to bring that before the body of Christ and let them pray for you. We also have a time of communion. We come to the table week after week to remember the free gift of grace that costs Jesus everything. So remember, take a moment and remember his broken body and his blood poured out. Would this be a time of giving glory and praise and honor to God? If you are able, will you stand with us as we worship?